Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas coming to you all the way from snowy Colorado. I love the snow for about 10 minutes and then I have to go and clear the backyard or the back garden, which after a little while becomes rather boring and dull. Here's a question. What do we do when church becomes boring? Is it okay that that happens? Seems like a rather strange question, one that we might even be hesitant to ask. What do we do when church is boring? Here's Oceans from Wren Collective.
Ren Collective with Oceans. I'm Jeff Lucas and we're asking the question, what do we do when church gets rather dull, even boring? I looked around. I was the guest speaker in a large successful church and the service was hopping quite literally. The congregation were well into the songs and a gaggle of enthusiastic teens had rushed to the front of the auditorium to the edge of the stage where they were dancing to the high energy tunes. Teens had rushed to the front of the auditorium to the edge of the stage where they were dancing to the high energy tunes. On stage, the worship team were technically brilliant, the graphics on the huge screen behind them stunning. Each member of the band, there were about 10 of them, looked like they'd stepped out of a fashion magazine. Fabulous teeth that facilitated gleaming smiles, the ladies all young and beautiful, and the chaps all appeared to be sporting six-pack abs and, and the fruit of many workout biceps. I wondered if slightly overweight, average-looking folks were banned from the platform, but surely the ugly quota would be more than fulfilled once I got up to preach. Everything looked great, but inwardly, something still wasn't right with me. I often feel like that in church. Everyone else seems to be totally caught up in the holy moment, and I catch myself fretting, distracted, questioning, anxious. I feel more like a refugee than a local. Perhaps you know the feeling. What's wrong, I ask myself. This church had grown from a fledgling church plant to a thriving congregation of 2,000 people in 10 years and had planted other congregations in that fruitful decade. I didn't know the pastor very well, but he came across as an authentic leader and a brilliant communicator. So what was up? I wondered if I was struggling because this was the third service of the morning. I'd sat through all of the songs, the announcements, the spontaneous witty asides twice already, and perhaps this was just beginning to feel a little redundant. But that was not it. My home church is three Sunday morning services, which means I get to hear myself three times over when I preach. I'm used to repetition. And then I identified the source of my vague disquiet. These are great people. The music is wonderful, and beneath the surface they are truly committed to the gospel. The financial giving of the church shows that they mean business and are willing to sacrifice to fulfil their mission. It's all good, but it's all just a bit too exciting. I couldn't attend this church regularly because I can't be that thrilled about being a Christian that regularly. Being ecstatic about being a follower of Jesus on a weekly basis is just beyond me. As the thought registered, the worship leader stepped up a gear in terms of exhortation, yelled that Jesus was totally awesome, and with a hint of rebuke in his voice, commanded the now sweaty congregation to dance more, shout louder, clap together, because Jesus was worth it. Inwardly, I groaned. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Despite my 63 years, I can shout and clap and even bop with the best of them, even if my dancing does look a little uncoordinated and people have been known to want to call for medical assistance when I break into my jerky, frenetic moves. I love to see a congregation giving their best when they praise the Lord. Sullen, spectator churches depress me. But I do worry when church has to always be exciting. When every service has to be a great breakthrough, when every gathering has to result in an eye-popping, life-altering encounter with God, and when we have to be excited all the time, surely some unhealthy traits can emerge. First of all, life isn't always exciting. On the contrary, 
I recently spoke to a young widow whose 35-year-old husband had just passed away following a brave five-year battle with multiple brain tumours. She's trusting all right, but she's far from excited. There's the danger that we reduce faith to having excited feelings, and then, when those feelings fail to appear, we wonder where God has gone. And then there's the problem that looms if every service has to be awesome. Quite simply, we can end up faking it, over-egging what happens, because we're desperate for a result. Surely, sometimes, whatever our tradition or form or style, sometimes church can be predictable. We get together, sing our songs, pray our prayers, open the great book, ponder its meaning, affirm our faith, and then go home. No mountaintop transfiguration experience required, just the people of God huddling together and reminding each other that they are the people of God and that Jesus is still alive. Surely we should make allowances for the church to be rather boring sometimes. The early church must have had at least a few services where they weren't dancing on the tables. Some of their gatherings were punctuated by deep disagreements. And on one glorious occasion, the Apostle Paul droned on for so long that a hapless young chap fell asleep and tumbled out of a window. All right, so they raised him from the dead. That bit was exciting. And the slumber was explained by the lulling warmth of oil lamps burning rather than the apostle being tedious. But it did happen nevertheless. Boredom is part of tenacious relationships. Not every conversation with a trusted friend will necessarily be exhilarating. Can't the same be true of the collective relationships that we call church? Recently, there's been a call for worship songs that more accurately reflect the different seasons of life. There's been a dearth of so-called songs of lament, that can be used to express struggle, doubt and pain. While I think such songs would be challenging to write, the worship leader saying, let's all stand together and sing number 47, which is I'm naffed off, how about you? Surely there must be some songs that are appropriate for when a national disaster is announced or that can express uncertainty, fear or despair. The great songbook of the Bible, the book of Psalms, contains plenty of those statements. Frequently the psalmist asks, why? How long? And even, God, where have you gone? Could we not create songs that express the full texture of life here on this broken planet? Perhaps I should start a new organisation called the International Federation of Occasionally Boring and Predictable Churches. That's silly, I know. Nobody would join. But we could at least give each other permission to truthfully say that life is not an endless hop, skip and jump, and though at times, although we're still trying to follow Jesus, we're dragging our feet as we do so. Weekly exuberance is therefore not always required. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Excitement is not. Hope in the furnace, you know It can burn away slow or come out like gold is walking the edge of the knife in the fire tonight in the fire i fight with a song carries on through the night of a future this bright morning will bring one day when sorrows are gone further down and along We'll finally sing, we'll sing God of the days where 
Gone are the days from Grey Havens. I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. We're thinking about those difficult days, maybe even lengthier seasons, when church is dull and boring, singing the same songs 300 times again. 
and the preacher is droning on and the people are irritating. Is it okay for church to be boring? It was London in 2012. It was a golden, silver and bronze summer, untarnished even by the prelude of a three-week monsoon that made us fear a washout. Nothing could dampen the atmosphere of exhilaration that the Olympic Games in London brought to us. The nation, by and large, happily succumbed to sporting fever as we enjoyed delirious days like Super Saturday, the like of which we may never see again. But even before the cosseted flame was finally extinguished, commentators were chattering nervously about post-Olympic depression, fearing that when the games went dark, our national mood would turn gloomy too. I can't believe it's all over, one television pundit lamented, fighting tears. And the athletes had to face the harsh fact that, for most, the pinnacle moment of their lives was now confined to the rear-view mirrors of their memories. Dubbing the after-games hangover as POSD, post-Olympic sadness disorder, the glumness that follows glory was summed up by athlete Taraje Williams-Murray. Ordinary life is a lot different from viewing the world from the lofty vantage point of Mount Olympus. Nothing feels like it can go back to normal. Something similar can happen to believers after they've attended a mammoth Christian event but then have to embrace life as usual again. When the great spring and summer festivals have come and gone, the springtime harvest has been gathered, many thousands of souls have survived and Keswick is serving scrumptious cream teas rather than lashings of luscious Bible teaching, life after a Christian knees-up can be decidedly dull. Of course, some grumpy souls insist that the event culture creates irrelevant, frothy jamborees, muttering that they prefer to stay home to continue at the coalface of serving their communities. Bah humbug. Surely the Lord has always called his people to gather at feasts and festivals because they help us to gather around God in unified faith, remember who we are, immerse ourselves in the big story, recalibrate our values, celebrate and recommit. Oh, and have some fun too. I worked with Spring Harvest for three decades because I utterly believed, and I still do, that it has a vital contribution to make in the realignment and refreshment of the church. That said, some returning pilgrims do get mugged by the blues. Worshipping in that tiny, out-of-tune congregation, accompanied by that rickety, out-of-tune piano, is not as thrilling as praising the Lord with thousands. And as much as we'd like to, we just can't take Tim Hughes home, stand him in the corner of the lounge beside that rather strange lampshade and yell, give us a tune, Tim, every time we feel a little bit morose. But there's a truth that we need to face if we're to make friends with our more mundane days, which is what most of our days are. It's a fact that I'm rather nervous to state, but here goes. Jesus is not always exciting. Some Christians insist that Jesus is endlessly thrilling and therefore those who are friends with him should experience an endlessly exhilarating jaunt, a hop, skip and jump from one supernatural experience to another. But I'm not sure I completely agree. When Jesus was on this earth, he certainly provided some thrilling episodes. Marble-cold corpses suddenly took possession of a pulse. There was that in-your-face encounter with a screaming demoniac which led to deliverance for him and drowning for a herd of stampeding pork. The trio that was Peter, James and John witnessed metamorphosis on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Blind eyes blinked and opened. All heady, exciting, exhilarating stuff. Indeed, Jesus certainly isn't dull. He is fascinating, intriguing and surprising. It was Albert Einstein who said, I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene Jesus. But perhaps his friends didn't always find him exciting. Hungry for the thrills of fame, prestige and power, two of them asked him for thrones, one at his right, one at his left, and he turned them down. His invitation to them at Gethsemane was an endurance test. His invitation to them to Gethsemane was too an endurance test, and they yawned repeatedly and fell asleep. Life with Jesus frequently got difficult and exhausting. One time the disciples affirmed their commitment to him with a shrug of the shoulders sigh of resignation. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You can find those in John 6, 68. Today, we do not walk with Jesus as they did, but rather navigate our days by faith. Yes, there are breakthroughs, answers to prayer, episodes that seem to sparkle with divine intervention. But the Bible is clear. Faith is not just about miracles, not just about excitement, not just about days never being boring, but also it's about the miracle of endurance, when we feel little or nothing, when God seems very distant and church seems very dull, but we trust anyway. Let's resist the myth that our emotions must always endorse our worship, that our feelings will always add an amen to the truths we affirm. The gospel is not just true because I feel that it is. It is true because it is true. Being addicted to excitement is surely spiritually immature. But when a Christian says that they're moving church because their spiritual thirst is not being satisfied or that they just need more excitement, we often bow to their assumed spirituality. We need churches that can have permission to be boring at times because life often is. Churches that are filled with people who are committed to each other and not just together for the thrills and chills. God, give us grace to be Olympian believers who know that the stadium event is but a fractional moment of life, that most of life is about running marathons in the rain, doing what's right rather than what we want, and being faithful during the duller days when no one, save one, is applauding. The sun comes up alone Like a funeral for my home Like a mirror for my soul but I should have known better I was feeling like skin and bones I kept chasing after these ghosts I kept giving up on these hopes When I found your letter I'm yours and yours alone Forgive me for my wandering on my own I'm a prodigal soul Close my eyes and I think about you I 
was Prodigal Soul from Switchfoot. I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Lucas on Life. And we've been reflecting on what do we do when life, when church particularly, gets to be a bit boring. We need to face the fact that that is going to be the case. As I wrap up tonight, I think I need to make a special announcement. It's a rather personal and private one. Uh, Kay and I have been married for over four decades now, but I've just recently indicated to her that I am committed to the marriage uh, as long as it stays exciting. But frankly, if our relationship just gets a bit dull and tedious, well, I've told her, darling, I'm just going to have to move on because I just need the excitement. Now, please don't call in or write in because, of course, uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm uh, making the statement just to be provocative. But let's just stop and think about that for a while. We hopefully would not do that in our marriages, although there are some who do. That's certainly not on my agenda. I'm committed to a relationship of faithfulness when the days are sunny and when they're overcast. But why do we sometimes rush to do that when it comes to our relationships in churches? When it all gets a little bit predictable, we suddenly feel led, as we describe it, to move on. Again, let's not be committed to the excitement, even 
to the corporate vision. Let's be committed to God and to each other. When church, when life, when faith gets a bit boring, let's be faithful. See you next time. Lucas on Life.